all the verses that I memorized were all King James Version. If you ask me uh, about John 3.16, it's going to come out King James Version, you know. That's just how it goes. In fact, sometimes I'll read a verse that I have memorized in another version, and I get so confused, and I think that I've said it wrong, or I've read it wrong, and I, I look around at other people, and it's really just because that when you learn something one way, a certain, with a certain language, it just feels wrong to use the other language. So yes, when I was, when I was very small, everything that I memorized was King James Version. Then when I learned how to read... It, not for any particular reason, but it just so happened that my parents gave me a New American Standard Bible. So as soon as I started to read till up to college, everything that I know about the Bible is in the New American Standard Bible. So any verses that I memorized or anything that I had learned, it all comes out weird when it's not New American Standard. Then I went away to college, and at college, I don't know if you know that, there's other churches all around the world, and they come to college, and we have to figure out what Bible can we read together. And it just so happens that um, the New Revised Standard Version is one that most Christian groups can agree on. And so uh, when I was in college, uh, we read the New Revised Standard Version uh, for most times. So all the things that I learned in college, they all come out New Revised Standard Version. And now, if if you've been part of this church for some while, uh, we've been studying, we, we read from the English Standard Version. So many of the things that you hear, many of the, the psalms that you've been reading, you, it's going to sound weird if you read it in another version. I point that out to say because there's this very small gap in that history where I discovered the Book of Common Prayer. And I understand saying something like, I discovered the Book of Common Prayer, is kind of like saying, I discovered the moon. It was always there. I just never looked at it. The Book of Common Prayer is a, is a very old uh, manual. It's, it's part church manual, part um, prayer guide, and it has a translation of the, of the Psalms. Um, they call it the Coverdale translation because uh, the guy who translated it, his, his name was Coverdale. Um, but if you look at Protestant history, the Book of Common Prayer is a very important book. Um, my, my dad used to tell me uh, when, when people went to church they brought three books with them in the, in the early days of the, of the Protestant Revolution they brought the uh, Pilgrim's Progress their King James Version and the Book of Common Prayer the, and that's what they were reading from and, and the language in this, in this book has really impacted us even today as Christians. And let me, let me show you how. Perhaps you've heard this before. Will you have this woman to be your wife, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? That is from the Book of Common Prayer, showing this is how you marry people. You say these things. But what I'm saying is the, these, the language, the language has, has become a part of us. And we, we as, as Christians, as Protestants, and it's sometimes hard to remember how that happened. Um, and so what we're going to do is usually we study and we read from the English Standard Version. Uh, but because of this time, 
uh, I spent, I discovered the Book of Common Prayer. I was reading everything, Psalm 34. I was reading it over and over and over again in the, in the um, Coverdale Psalms. And to me, I, I even read it, you know, in, in the English Standard Version. And it was just, it was confusing to me. Um, because I didn't, I didn't expect the language to be so different. Now, with that to say, is that is not to say that um, different translations are wrong or evil or bad, but each translation has certain things that they're trying to draw out of the original language. So the Book of Common Prayer, one of their concerns when they were translating was to translate uh, the, the more of the poetical elements correctly they wanted to make sure that that when we read the psalms we read them as poems a lot of other translations that are much more word for word what they do to a poem is they they translate it to death till you (laughs) they translate it to death and so those words are very very accurate but when you read it you have no idea that this was supposed to be a, a poem at one point and so that's one thing I appreciate about um, the, the Coverdale Psalms. Uh, and it's one thing you're going to see. But all that to say is I want to encourage you to continue to read it in English Standard Version uh, when you get home. Or um, look up Book of Common Prayer. Let's, say, let's just say the Book of Common Prayer is old enough to be free anywhere you need, anywhere you need it. Um, I saw open... open uh, I forget what they call it. I, I'm a programmer, so I always think open source. Uh, I saw, basically, online you can read the 1928 uh, Book of Common Prayer for free. And that is like 10 editions. Like, it's so much older than that. But the 1928 is still there. At any rate. So picking up, we are going to look at Psalm 34 together. And I didn't tell the uh, guys in the back this, so I'm just going to uh, read it through, but don't, don't worry about clicking through the slides. Psalm 34 goes like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall ever be in my mouth. I will glory in the Lord. Let the humble hear and rejoice. Proclaim with me the greatness of the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me out of all my terror. Look upon him and be radiant, and let not your faces be ashamed. I called in my affliction, and the Lord heard me, and saved me from all my troubles. The angel of the Lord encompasses those who fear him, and he will deliver them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are they who trust in him. Fear the Lord, you that are his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack nothing that is good. Come, children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who among you loves life and desires long life to enjoy prosperity? Keep your tongue from evil speaking and your lips from lying words. 
Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to root out the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears them, and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and will save those whose spirits are crushed. Many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. He will keep safe all his bones, not one of them shall be broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord ransoms the life of his servants, and none will be punished who trust in him. So I learned, I learned to sing the Psalms as an experiment um, because I'm really bad at memorization. Um, the, actually, the, more accurately, I'm really good at memorization, but I have no control over what gets memorized. I will remember things with perfect clarity, a book that I read in grade school. But if I sat down to memorize something that I really wanted, I would find that it wasn't there. Um, so I was in, in my hope to one day actually be able to memorize Scripture, I came across an idea. I said, you know, it's funny, but when I'm on, listening to the radio, if I hear a song like three times, that song is mine. I know it. I know it by heart. And I was like, there's got to be a way, there's got to be a way that I can sing Scripture so that I can memorize it and use that. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, but thousands of years ago, um, when, and essentially four thousands of years, Christians have been singing Scripture. Um, <laughs> and so I discovered that as well, just like the moon. Um, and it really did help me. It really did help me. I learned to memorize this psalm. I, I, would, I started this memorization. I just had to pick something. I just had to pick a psalm. So I picked this psalm almost out of nothing. The only reason why I picked it was because it mentions um, keeping safe all his bones. And I recognize that is uh, a possible uh, reference to Jesus on the cross. So that's really the only reason why I picked this psalm. And I just started singing it over and over and over again. And I would do it on my way from my house to Sac State, about maybe four or five times. At this time, we only had one car. And then on my way home from from working on the campus, I would sing it over and over and over again on my way home. And it was slow going. But I did start memorizing things. I did start memorizing the psalm. Uh, Karen and I, at that time, we'd been married uh, a little bit more than a year, and we had no idea what was uh, about to happen to us. So now we're going to look through, we're just going to step through this together. Don't worry, no one will be punished with more singing. I was thinking about that. If if someone said that I was a singer, would there be enough evidence to convict me? 
psalmist begins, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall ever be in my mouth. I will glory in the Lord. Let the humble hear and rejoice. Proclaim with me the greatness of the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. Psalm begins by committing to praise. Committing to praise at all times. Um, And now, the praise is directed at God, but as you can see, there's also sort of this call for people to join in, specifically the humble, to join in with him. Um, Humble is an interesting word. Uh, the, The word translation could actually mean poor. So humble, but also when you see that, see poor as well. Um, this also comes up a little bit later in the psalm. He calls out in his affliction, and that's the same word. So, um, affliction, poverty, humility, um, these are the things he's calling out in. But I remember as I was singing this every day, four or five times on the way to campus, four or five times on the way back, um, that I was literally doing exactly what the psalm said I was supposed to be doing. That I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall ever be in my mouth. Um, application. It's really important. In fact, you should never come to church and not have some sort of application um, leaving. Sometimes the pastor will give it. Sometimes it will come like a conviction from the Lord will come to you. But... But application is um, the difference between reading the rules to a game and putting it aside and reading the rules to a board game and playing the game. Like there's a purpose for Scripture, and the purpose is application to our lives. And I... but. One thing I have noticed about a lot of the times and a lot of the ways that we, um, that we apply Scripture is so often there is a cerebral quality to it. Uh, sometimes the application is, believe this new thing about God, or um, think differently. And those are excellent applications. But I would also challenge us to say, we also need to apply things with our arms and our legs and our bodies, not just our minds. So there's something really cool that happens when you apply Scripture and you have no idea what it is you're going to learn about. So here I am. I'm blessing the Lord at all times, praise ever in my mouth. And I have no idea that this is, that this is going to teach me something. I'm just doing what it says to do in Scripture. So I challenge you to look for that. Look for some of those strange things. Oftentimes, they're the things that make the least sense to your mind. There's commands in Scripture to give generously. Why give generously? Well, I'll tell you what. Start giving generously. And after doing that, making it a habit, and it being part of your life, maybe you'll see, now I know why God says give generously. Maybe, um, what is the point of loving our enemies? What is the point of walking with someone two miles if we're only forced to walk one? 
I submit to you that we're not going to think our way into understanding those passages. Those are passages meant to have arms and legs and experimenting in it together. Experiments in obedience. We put them into practice and we learn new ways of believing. And may we be people who learn about God as much by reading and thinking as we do doing and being. We come to uh, the, the next section. Um, it, it appears that the, the psalmist is, is telling us why he specifically, or maybe why we should join him in his praise. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me out of all of my terror. Look on him and be radiant. Let not your faces be ashamed. I called in my affliction, and the Lord heard me and saved me from all my troubles. The angel of the Lord encompasses those who fear him, and he will deliver them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are they who trust in him. Ultimately, as with many psalms of thanksgiving, there are many different types of psalms. Some of them are laments. Some of them are thanksgiving. Some of them are praise. This uh, is usually classified as a, as a prayer or a, a psalm of thanksgiving. And usually, thanksgiving sounds really nice, but usually a psalm of thanksgiving, behind it, there's something bad that happened. And that's why the person is thankful, because God rescued them. And we can see, in this case, that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, I'm praising God all the time, and I want you to praise him too, because I was in a terrible, terrible spot, and God rescued me. I was crying out for help, and God heard me. I want you to think about that for a moment. Like, have you ever felt that you were calling out and no one was hearing you? This person was saying, that was not true. I was calling out, and God heard me, and heard me in such a way that he reached down and saved me. And because of that, because of that experience, these experiences, and I think it's interesting too, because it, it may not be a specific, uh, a specific experience. It may actually be several experiences. Um, it may be um, a lifetime of being in trouble and being rescued. But for, but for our purposes, he's saying, summary, I was in trouble and God saved me. And for this reason, he can palpably say, he can palpably say, I have tasted that the Lord is good. Essentially, taste with me that the Lord is good. Looking at verses 9 through 14. Fear the Lord, you that are his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack nothing that is good. Come, children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who among you loves life, desires long life to enjoy prosperity? Keep your tongue from evil speaking and your lips from lying words. Turn from evil and do good. 
Seek peace and pursue it. So as we, as we move into more of a, a teaching space, you'll see right away fear. Fear the Lord. Fear is, is a common refrain, especially in wisdom conversations. Um, fear is uh, not associated with uh, being scared, um, but it is uh, something like reverence for or trust in, or um, a dependency on God. That is what, what in wisdom liber- literature, when you hear fear, that's what they're talking about, fearing the Lord. So he wants to, he wants to draw others along to experience God the way that he has. And so he gives instruction on, on how to essentially be righteous and to, um, and to know things about what it means to be righteous and what it means to be unrighteous. But I also I want you to point out at that very end the things that he's telling you to avoid. Uh, evil speaking and lying. It's interesting because every culture seems to have the really the list of really bad sins. Uh, they're the ones that are definitely the worst, and then there are ones that are no big deal, right? I'm not talking about what God sees about sins, because God sees sin as sin, no matter what. But as cultures, we have wisely figured out which ones are the really bad ones and which ones are no big deal. And it's interesting because in our culture, in our culture, probably because of uh, the history that we have with uh, repression, um, most of those things that fall at the top of the list are connected with sexual things for us. In our culture, those are the really bad ones. And lying is no big deal. So much so that we have excellent new names for lying that make them better, such as alternative facts, or misspeaking, or white lies. They're not even saying they're not even saying that they're not lying. They're saying that it. Don't worry, it's one of the good ones. The white lies. Those are the good ones. Um, so I think it's really important for us not to say that, oh, we need to, we need to make lying the, the new thing at the top of the list. But I think Scripture challenges us and says, know that thing that you think is not a big deal? It's so a big deal. <laughs> it, is, it is so something you still don't want to be doing. Uh, and I, I think as a culture, we need, to, we need to look at this idea of evil speaking and lying and, and, and start to resist that uh, current of our culture. Um, In our culture, speaking the truth has become a powerful way for us to resist the corruption in our world. And so I challenge us to, 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 to focus on that, to speak truth um, against what we have been 
seeing in our culture now. Reading some more. We're still in a kind of a, a teaching area of the psalm in 15 through 17. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to root out the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears them, and delivers them from all their troubles. Again, we're, 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 we're back to focusing on God rescuing people. And here, we're, we're, we're sort of breaking out into um, the ways that God interacts differently with the righteous than the unrighteous. And I think it's, uh, it's too simple to say something along the lines of, well, you see, because God likes the righteous and he doesn't like uh, the unrighteous and then close, close book and walk away. That's, it's really uh, more than that what is being said. Um, God hears and saves the righteous, but God has a goal to root out the remembrance of the people who do evil. I think that's, that's even different. It's different than just root out the remembrance of evil. Root out the remembrance of the people that do evil. I don't know if you have gardens, but I have had gardens in the past. I have a very sad garden right now because I need to build. I need to build some planter boxes. I, I I tried to plant a garden with my with my son. I said, "All right, we'll dig a hole right here, and we go, chink, right." There won't be uh, a garden here. We will need a planter box. It was just hard rock right underneath it. But the one thing I know about weeding is you want to pull gently but firmly to get that whole root. Because if you, if you pull fast, it will look great, very fast. And then about a week later, you will do it again. The goal is to get it at the root, to get all of it till it's gone Till it doesn't come back. And that is what God's goal is against the wicked. To root it out so it does not come back. And even more specifically, to even root out the memory of it. There's a very long concern in ancient literature, uh, and I, I think even um, in, in modern thought, the, this idea that we want a legacy a legacy to be remembered. Um, there's a very famous poem um, called Mandias. Perhaps you had to learn it in, in school. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will just read just a part of it. My name is Mandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing besides remains round the decay of that colossal wreck. Boundless and bare, the lone and level strands, sands stretch away. The idea is there's a king who has built a huge monument with this boast that he is the king of kings. Uh, and that is in ruins and in the middle of a desert where no one will ever see it. And that's what the poem is about. Um, so that's like the wicked. That the legacy 
God's goal is to remove that legacy from the earth. If you want a legacy, uh, only the righteous will have one. And I think it's also, it's right that God should do that too. Because when evil things happen and when people perpetrate great evil, that memory of even that event follows you. It's not that it happened once in, you know, 1995. You remember it with crystal clarity in 2019, and you will probably remember it in 2030. But God has committed to root it out so that one day, one day the great evil that has been perpetrated against us it will be gone. It will not be remembered anymore. And that is a hope. Verse 18 says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and will save those whose spirits are crushed. Many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. He will keep safe all his bones Not one of them shall be broken. So over and over and over again, I would recite these words. I would sing this psalm on my way to school, on my way back. Um, But something happened when my wife uh, went to work. When When she graduated college, we were married for one year. And half of that year, she was was still in college because she had the graduate program. Um, that she was finishing up. And then she went to work in the schools. And when that happened, something really shook Karen to the core. Um, Karen had always struggled with anxiety. um, And we found out later that actually um, the same chemical that causes anxiety in the brain causes depression as well. Um, and, And so if you are an anxious person, it's likely, maybe possible, uh, that you may also struggle with depression. And that's, uh, that's basically what happened. Um, it got really, really difficult for, for both of us, Karen, uh, on an emotional level. Um, it got so difficult that uh, every morning I had to help her get dressed uh, and get up and go to work. Um, and I made all the meals, um, and I basically I spent most of my energy was spent keeping us afloat, like, and okay, um, and that went on for a while. You know, it's it's just like an injury. Um, when you injure, right now my legs are injured, but for a while. They hurt a little bit, but I was like, that's fine, it's fine. My legs are injured, they'll, be, they'll get better. And you don't really realize that it keeps getting worse and worse and worse until you come to that point you're like, okay, something's got to happen. There's something actually wrong, uh, and then you go to the doctor, uh, the things like that. And, that. and that's kind of how things went with, with Karen and I. Like, there was a point where we're like, well, this isn't, this isn't grand, but uh, it's no big deal. We'll, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. Uh, and then as time went on, we kind of came to this conclusion like, no, this is like serious. This is, this is very serious. Um, and then from that point, 
um, till things started to get a little bit better was really um, several months. It wasn't like years and years. Um, but the recovery from that experience uh, took years. Uh, it took counseling. Uh, it took lots of friends um, communicating with us. Uh, it took uh, medicine. And like I said, it, it took years to, to come to the place of recovery. I remember um, not that long, not, not that long ago, it was, a, it was, a, maybe, it was maybe four to six years ago, I can't remember exactly, but my, my, my sister was talking to me, and she was saying, Karen is so awesome. She is so fun. Like, I had no idea that she was this fun. And, it, and when, when she said that, I realized that's because most of the time that you saw her up to that point, we were still dealing with this trouble. And now you're getting to see the Karen that I met years before and the Karen that I most desperately wanted you to see. And I say this, one, we had all those helps. We had counseling. We had um, friends to talk to. Um, We had lots of helps. But also, I keep saying this psalm over and over and over again. And every day, four or five times on my way, I hear, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he will save those whose spirits are crushed. Over and over and over again. And I didn't really notice it at first. It was just a verse in the middle of a psalm that I was memorizing. It wasn't even the verse that I picked it for. Um, But eventually it became a great comfort to me because I realized, wait a minute, God is speaking to me and to Karen to say that he is near. And that was very comforting for, for a long time. Then I realized that's only the first half of the verse. And he will save those whose spirits are crushed. And that really focused my prayer. Sometimes it was angry when I was like, God, you said you would save those whose spirits are crushed, but I don't see that right now. And that would be a part of my prayer as I walked. Other times it would be hopeful where I would say, I, today, today, I do believe you will. I don't see it now, but I do believe it. But as you can see, this is a psalm that I picked for no reason, essentially, whatsoever. And yet, God is using it to speak to me in a deep and painful part of my life because I'm committed to memorizing and practicing Scripture. And things are becoming to mean something to me that did not mean things before. I kept saying, the, saying these verses, reading them, singing them, praying them. And there came a day when I too could say what the psalmist, he, he did save those whose spirits are crushed. But during that time, this psalm gave me the language that I needed to talk to God about the situation. And I didn't know that I would need that. So I think this is really good for us to remember. When we think about memorization, so often memorization comes out with sort of memorize Scripture so that you get more points with God. 
There's a point system, I guess, with God, and memorizing Scripture is a lot of points. Going to church is a ton of points, um, especially if there's something good on TV at the time. Um, but there's something really wrong about that way of thinking, besides the fact that it leads us back into um, a very pharisaical version of Christianity. Uh, there's another problem, too, which is that's not the purpose for memorizing Scripture. We memorize Scripture so that it becomes a part of us. So that as we walk around in our daily life and we need the language to speak to God, it's there for us, right for us. It's kept me grounded and able to talk to God. And so I I am actually going to encourage you to memorize. Memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture because because one day you're going to need it. Memorize Scripture because it's going to form you and create in you uh, the kind of person who can relate with God. And I would even submit, don't be overly concerned about picking a really important one or a really good one. They're all pretty good. That's a, that's a, that's a joke we talk about in seminary. People will be like, oh, we're going to be discussing the Sermon on the Mount. And other people will say, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're all good ones. But more importantly, perhaps God has in store for you a passage that is very important for the next years of your life or maybe your entire life. Um, So don't be too concerned about picking it as much as making Scripture a part of your life. It will orient you in times of loss. It will level you in times of overconfidence as you think that that would never happen to me. Um, It will be a part of of your experience of God. And this passage, it did keep me sane in a time of craziness, but I've always been bothered by this passage. This is funny, too, because this is why I picked the passage. I've always been bothered by the idea that Jesus' legs were not broken on the cross, because people always say, aha, look, prophecy. Jesus' legs were not broken, because that's that's a part of the narrative. Um, Many people, they aren't not really uh, as... uh, don't really understand exactly what the cross does. So essentially, the, it's the, the body placement of the cross is what's critical in terms of the execution style. It's the raising of the arms that puts pressure on the diaphragm, and it makes it so you can't breathe. So because you can't breathe, the people on the cross, it doesn't, see, it doesn't matter that they, whether they put uh, nails in the hands or not. It's the body position, so the tying still does the job. When, when they're stretched out, they will push up with their legs so that they can breathe, and then they'll drop down. And so that can go on for days um, as they push up, breathe, and come down. And all of that's happening on a back that's been um, whipped against rough wood. So you can imagine that that's part of what the Romans are trying to do. They're trying to make a statement about who you should not mess with. Um, And so they would like this torture to go as long as possible and as public as possible. 
But Jesus' legs weren't broken. And actually, if you look through the narrative, the two people beside him, theirs were. There's a point in the narrative where uh, they say, go, go check on the prisoners. And uh, they see them alive. So they break their legs so that they'll die really quickly because then they can't push up anymore. And then they'll just die right away. But when they come to Jesus, they say he's already dead. So they didn't break his bones. And as I was reading this passage over and over again, daily, five times forward, five times back, I suddenly, I literally stopped in the street. It's not a prophecy. It never was a prophecy. I've been reading, plus it's been read out of context to me every single time. Look back with me, if it's up there still. Go back to, let's see, 19. Or are we going forward? Did I not read it? There we go. The one whose bones are not broken is the righteous one. It's not a prophecy. It was a statement by God that Jesus was righteous. Even though he's on the uh, cross, even though that is a place of shame and guilt, and that is where we see guilty people go, God said, but not him. He is righteous. And that was a statement also from God to say that I accept Jesus' sacrifice as righteous. And this filled me with a sense of awe and respect and love for this passage, that one verse that has always troubled me. And I think to myself, we often, as Western people, we also do this thing where we think, I'm going to study the Bible really good, and I'm going to learn everything that there is to know about this passage, and I'm going to do it in one hour because I have to get home to watch my video when I get there. Uh, And that is really false. We don't... We don't plumb the depths of Scripture in an hour or two hours or three hours or four hours. Sometimes understanding Scripture takes months and years and lifetimes. And that is yet another reason why we need to memorize Scripture and make it a part of our lives. Because it's those Scriptures that we will actually understand deeply because they're the Scriptures that we can continually bring up continually reflect on, and essentially um, learn to know from the inside. We are too quick to claim mastery over Scripture. What if a Bible study, what if, what if this was the, 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 the pitch for the next Bible study that you were going to go to? All right, we are going to study... Um, just the Beatitudes. What are we going to study next week? The Beatitudes again. What are we going to study the week after? Same passage. What if that you spent an entire year on just six verses? Do you think that you wouldn't be learning new things about God? Or do you think you would be pulled in deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of God in this one passage? What I'm saying is, we so often want to grab all of Scripture. We want to read a book of the Bible. We want to, we want to do a survey Um, but there is riches in looking at a small passage of Scripture 
and reading it over and over and over again. And even when you say, I think I've learned everything about it, you do it again and you keep doing it. And all this, all this that I learned from this, from this psalm, I did it without a concordance or a Bible dictionary or anything. I just kept reading it, singing it over and over and over again. So we close this passage with one last parallel comparison between the wicked and the righteous. The psalmist reminds us that evil... Oh, I should read it. I would like to do that. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord ransoms the life of his servants, and none will be punished who trust in him. psalmist reminds us evil looks like it's winning evil is very powerful it does it it it, it does things and it doesn't care but the truth about evil is evil is its own undoing evil will destroy itself and a firm commitment that those who practice evil will be held accountable by god Sometimes it looks like they're getting away with it. The firm commitment of Scripture, not just in this passage, but in lots of passages, is they are not getting, rid of, getting away with it. They will be held accountable. And the Lord will rescue, ransom those who trust in him. And it's good news for us. It's especially good news for us when we find that we've done evil things as well. What do I do? I've done evil things. It doesn't say that the Lord ransoms the life of those who are perfect. He doesn't rescue those who are perfect. His servants he rescues. Good news for us. So with that, I, I, I want to, to close with just a, a call to memorize scripture. Uh, it could be this scripture, Psalm 34. It could be one that's in this series. It could be one that's completely separated from what we're talking about here. But I challenge you this be, to do this so that one day you will be able to say, I didn't know that this verse was going to matter to me throughout my life, but God has used it to speak to my life again and again and again and orient my life in relation to him. I want you to have those experiences too um, because there's something about the closeness that I feel with God when I read this passage and a reminder of how he saved me and how he's rescued me and how he's rescued Karen and myself. And I too can say with the psalmist, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you speak to us in your word. We thank that you are near to us. We ask for your help to experience you afresh in your scriptures each week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan.